This is Worthlessly Worthwhile. I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Now your hosts, Art and Rich. Hold up. That's right, Art. It's a special intro for a special edition of Worthlessly Worthwhile. It is I, Rich Brown, joined by Art Aronson, April 21st, a uh, couple nights after the premiere of The Last Dance, the uh, the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls ESPN 30 for 30 series. So Art, not a lot going on in the world of sports, but we have this doc to talk about. How good were the first two episodes of The Last Dance? Oh man, before I get into that, is that like who did that song? Is that the Alan Parsons project? It's the Alan Parsons project, apparently. Yeah. Oh, like that's like the greatest intro music in sports history. Is it not? It might be because it's connected to that Bulls team, but it has a special aura about it. I don't know what it is, but I do think the song is phenomenal, but also it's how it's connected to that sports team. Okay, so we've been talking about this documentary, waiting for this documentary, the the much-hyped Michael Jordan last season as a Chicago Bull and all the great personalities on that team. And so far, the first two episodes, which dropped on the Sunday night, and it dropped at 6 o'clock Pacific Standard Time in the United States, our time, that Sunday night, but we didn't get it until midnight in Canada. So like after midnight, so the next day, Monday, early in the morning. And I'm like reading Twitter and I'm reading all the hype around these first two episodes. And I'm just like, I like I can't handle this. Like drop the goddamn dog, Netflix Canada. I had to stay off Twitter. <laughs> so I decided, yeah, smart, so smart. And I like, I, I, like you, I should have, like, slept soundly that night, mm-hmm. watched it the next day. No. But me, being the freak that I am in quarantine isolation right now, I was like, oh, it's 11.30. It's almost midnight. I might as well just wait for it to drop, you know? So I waited until 12.01, and I fucking pressed play, hit, boom, I'm watching this. I watched that first episode. I'm tired as hell, but I'm like, this is amazing. And I was like so pumped and I could barely get back to sleep. Really, I should have just watched the second episode right then and there. But I'm like, no, no, I'll try and get to sleep. Next thing I know, Richie, it's 4.30, 5 o'clock. I'm like, fuck it. I'm firing up episode two right now. Oh man, and you know what? It lived up to the hype every moment of that. Like they're like, I got chills watching those first two. There's multiple moments I got chills. Like it's I can't like, and it ends in a cliffhanger. The second episode, I'm just like, no, don't do this to me, Netflix. When they're doing the player introductions in that first game back in Chicago in uh, 1997 for the 97-98 season and they 
they focus in on MJ back in the tunnel waiting to come out. Yeah, I got I got those chills. The the Alan Parsons project song is playing and the crowd is going crazy and the announcer's like, Michael Jordan like <laughs> he's really into it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I got oh I got chills you know it was crazy but I agree totally lived up to the hype um, the thing that I found so interesting is I don't know this story very well other than the fact that the Bulls won their six championships I know the players I know who they beat in the finals but I don't know a lot about the story itself and so I didn't know that the Bulls were planning to blow things up and that Phil Jackson was basically told this is going to be your last season with the team and everyone knew it that this was the last season and they were going to try and win a sixth title and then it was all going to be blown up so the name the last dance was such a good name but then to find out that Phil Jackson had like a playbook or game plan for the season and he titled it the last dance like that's amazing the coach was like all right they're kicking me to the curb one more run let's do this boys it's, there's something about NBA, like, business in the NBA that's, like, so personal. And these personalities in the NBA. And that's why I'll always say that the NBA has, like, a leg up on so many other sports because of the personalities. And Phil Jackson, what a personality. Like, what coach would put out, like, a game plan and name it The Last Dance? Like, I've read some of, like some of his material from his book that he did recently. And I'm like, this guy is an interesting dude. And it's true. Like you go back to that season and he played it up. He played it as a ploy for this team, which was already a great, incredible team, obviously coming off, you know, going for their third straight championship to give them that extra incentive boost. The last dance, like, Oh, man. I And I, you know, this goes back to my childhood. I was young. This is when I first started watching basketball. Seriously. And I had watched the season before the Bulls beat the Jazz in the finals. And that was like, I have an old VHS, Rich. I have game six and seven. Game six was the flu game. The Michael Jordan flu game, which everybody still considers, you know, maybe his most impressive performance ever and i used to watch that on like i would rewind it watch it again rewind it watch it again on the old vhs because i didn't have cable tv back then i lived on a small island and that intro and that united center it's just oh it just brought me back nostalgia everything this documentary hits every point for me every point and it it didn't take long to get going right like the story is setting itself up. I think one of your favorite moments you mentioned to me, Steve Kerr, he kind of sets the tone for the entire documentary early in the first episode. Uh, and it's, I think this is leading into the 97, 98 season when they're in training in Paris. And he, he's asked a question. What's unique about this particular dynasty? I guess what's unique is that we're, uh... You know, we've got Michael. <laughs> what I love about it is how you can tell he's getting ready to give the, like, canned answer. Like, well, what's great about us is... Uh, and then he, he kind of stops himself. Like, let's be honest. We have MJ. Like, that's the difference. <laughs> oh, man. Steve Kerr's just another one of the really interesting characters in this doc, right? Like, we know him now as... Like, not only was he on the greatest... Some consider that 
the greatest team of all time. He's the coach of the team that defeated that record later on, the Golden State Warriors, just a couple of years ago. That's pretty like, crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, like Steve, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think he's a special person. Steve Kerr is a special person, and we're kind of, you know, seeing that with some of these quotes that he's coming with. I think that's not going to be the only great quote that we hear from him in this doc. He's really been a part of three dynasties. He was, he won three titles, so he was part of the the second three-peat for the Bulls. So he won those three titles. The then Spurs. he went to the Spurs and won two more titles, I believe, as a player. So he had five. Then he coaches the Warriors. And a lot of people, this is what has always kind of bugged me about the Steve Kerr narrative, is everyone's like, oh, well, take a roster like that. Anyone could win with the Warriors. Does anyone remember what the Warriors were before Steve Kerr came there? It was basically the same roster. Uh, they had Mark Jackson as the coach. I think they snuck into the playoffs as like an eight seed. They were felt like an upstart team. Um, they had a good season, but they decided to part ways with Mark Jackson anyways. Steve Kerr, everyone thought he was going to go to the Knicks. And he was smart enough to say, no, I'm not going to the Knicks. He picked the Warriors. And it was the next season that that team won the championship, I believe. Yeah, it was and they... Like, and it's like a switch went off, right? So he deserves a lot of credit. Absolutely. Like, Mark Jackson, who... Like, there was a lot of, oh, you did Mark Jackson dirty, that sort of thing. But that's all thrown out the books when you saw the kind of success that came with Steve Kerr. Like, it was the right move all the way around. Like, and Steve Kerr, like you see, like like I've said just seconds ago, he's a special person. And I think he has a way with people. And that's, that's part of building a championship type team. And I think even Mark Jackson knows that. Honestly, if you were to ask Mark Jackson, like, it was the right move for the Golden State Warriors. Oh, I think the results speak for themselves. You know, what I love so much, and we're only two episodes in, but you you know this is going to be consistent through the entire documentary. Michael Jordan is this figure that we hear about, but we don't no. hear from him very often. We don't we don't get a look inside the life of Michael Jordan very often. It's very rare. He's a private person. But in this documentary, he's you know, he's leaning back at home. He's got a glass of whiskey, he's relaxed, he's telling stories. This is Michael Jordan. Like, this is who he is. And he's giving us his real personality. He's not filtering anything. And it's just fascinating. And uh, again, I'm... I got to play another clip. This was, this was the Michael Jordan moment of the first two episodes that made me laugh. If I can get so it. So I said to Michael, you don't, you're not understanding the risk-reward ratio. If you had a terrible headache and I gave you a bottle of pills and nine of the pills would cure you and one of the pills would kill you, would you take a pill? And I look at him, I said, depends on how fucking bad the headache is. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously this is when uh, his second season when he had uh, hurt, he was hurt and uh, it was his foot, I believe, yeah. and the doctors told him he had a 10% chance of re-injuring and if he re-injured, his career could be over, and he wanted to play anyways. So it, it just I, shows you that competitive nature of Michael Jordan. Man, I'm just I'm happy for Michael, even though I haven't like watched this entire doc yet. And I know there's going to be a, quite a few moments where 
it's it's going to be impossible to hide that Michael was an asshole. I think we kind of all know that. It took that type of personality to be that successful, right? And that's part of who Michael is. And it really came out in Michael's. And the reason I say I'm happy for him is because the last real public thing we heard from him, this was before the Kobe Bryant uh, funeral, which I thought he was fantastic in, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm-hmm. But before that was his Hall of Fame speech. And it wasn't that it wasn't very good. Like it was it was a guy who seemed to be really bitter and a guy who like just was really, really, really arrogant. And I, anyways, I'm, I'm just happy that we can now go back to this time and get the candid MJ and just remember the aura around him. Like they'll, the, there's not a, there's like as big as any basketball player will be. You can talk about LeBron, you can talk about Kobe Bryant, but there was just an aura around Michael Jordan that I don't think it can be duplicated, and we're 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 getting we're getting a reminder of that in this documentary. I think. Yeah, I don't know if you if you read the Ramona Shelburne piece on ESPN about how this documentary was how it came to be, how it actually got made, uh, because I had questions too, and I read the article and it answered a lot of my questions. And the first thing I thought when I heard about the Last Dance coming out is how was there this amazing footage back like right in the locker room backstage whatever you want to call it all access footage to a full season of a michael jordan bulls team and it's been 22 years and this is the first time someone thought hey let's put a documentary together it seemed crazy to me so it all made sense when you read the article about how to to get Michael to agree to allow access to the NBA to film uh, the all-access footage, they had to agree to give Michael basically full control of the footage. So nobody would have access to it unless MJ said so. Um, And he never wanted to do anything with it. And she talks a lot about how Michael Jordan always, he never wanted anything to be over. He, he didn't want to be part of the past. He didn't want to be considered a figure from the past. And there's a story about um, him asking about the Hall of Fame qualifications where you have to be inactive for five years before you qualify to go into the Hall of Fame. So he said, you know, if I check into one game, play 30 seconds and check out, does that mean that I extend for another five years? I can't go into the Hall of Fame? Like, he didn't want to be considered this mythical figure from the past. He didn't ever want it to be over. Um, so it it's understandable why maybe he was bitter at his Hall of Fame speech. Um, but it took him time, obviously, to get to this point. And he finally got there where he's able to appreciate what happened and appreciate that he's in a different stage of his life. So... I think it's actually better that we had to wait for this than get it right away because you're getting a better version of Michael Jordan where he's happy to tell the stories and he he's happy to share this with us. Um, but also, it's worth the wait. It's more fun to look back at something 20-plus years past due than to look back at it five years. It'd be enjoyable, but it's just so much more special now to to realize this has faded from our memories and now we're being reminded of it again. I think, yeah, and I 100% agree with everything you just said there. And one of the best things about getting older, I mean, nobody likes getting older, but one of the best things is 
you get perspective. And I think that's maybe the best thing for Michael, the best thing for fans like you and me. Uh, you get a different perspective if you wait a little bit longer and to look back on the facts, right? And I think Michael has a chance to do that, and we get a chance to do that as fans. It's just it's more special because time, right? Time heals all wounds. It's like the Shaquille O'Neal and rest in peace Kobe Bryant, their conversation they had just in this past year where they talked about their relationship and time heals things, right? And the fact that, and that's what I love about sports. Like you can go back and tell those stories without like really damaging people because in the end it is just a game and it's about personalities. And to hear those stories with perspective, it just makes it more special. And that's, that's what we're seeing here. So much of what goes on in sports has to go on behind closed doors. We can't hear about it. We can't know about it because you can't let the opponent in on what's going on. There's a lot of reasons why. Um, and nobody will ever tell these stories while they're still playing or still involved. So exactly. it, it does take the, those years to go by so that it doesn't matter anymore. You can go back and tell those stories and it doesn't make any difference anymore. And so that's that's why we're lucky to have the 30 for 30 series and and for them to come out with this this series at this time. It's just perfect timing. It makes you forget that we're without sports for a moment anyways. And, and, and think about how lucky we are right now because we are now, right now, going through a time where there's an information age, there's videos, there's information about everything. It's not going to be quite as special, I think, down the line when we're looking back at this time now because we're already seeing it documented 30 seconds from now. But here we are looking back at a time when not there wasn't social media. Not everything was documented like that on the spot. So we can revisit that time, but there's still like technology was good enough that they could still document things very well with video and audio and everything like that. So we could we have the best of both worlds with perspectives. I just think I think documentaries later down the line might not be as good because of the way social media has already portrayed. Everybody had already has perspectives on things that happened two days ago. Oh my god, that was two days ago. Let's move on to the next thing, right? The moment in the first know, two episodes that I really thought about what if social media had existed or how the lack of social media or just even the lack of coverage of sports back then was um, in the second episode when Scottie Pippen gets drafted and he's sitting there with the Seattle Supersonics hat on doing his interview and the reporter very smugly and very happily says, uh, Scottie, did you hear about the trade between Seattle and Chicago? You've been traded. And he just looks at him and says, no, I did not hear that. He says, yeah, you're, uh, you're wearing the wrong hat. <laughs> <laughs> and that would never happen in this generation because that trade apparently had already been agreed upon going into the draft. Chicago yeah. knew, okay, Seattle, you're going to take Pippen for us, and then we complete the deal. That would have leaked long ago. That would have been a Woj bomb. Everyone knows it, right? Scotty Pippen never would have gotten to meet the media wearing a Seattle Supersonics hat and then find out about it from some newspaper reporter. But that was the generation that they were in. And it's just so interesting. Um, yeah. It's, we'll it's, never see that again. We'll, we will we'll never not see, see that, that time again. again. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, you're right. And it's uh, it's special. It's special. So we're lucky to be able to look back on it and see some of those like real genuine moments. It's cool. The other thing about uh, Michael that I don't think they touched on too much in the first couple episodes yet, they obviously talked about his his uh, extreme competitiveness, but we know from his stories that we've heard that he loves to golf and he's a gambler and he loves to gamble on the golf course. So uh, this this gem from Scottie Pippen was one that I really enjoyed as well. Actually, my rookie year, he gave me a pair of golf clubs. That's a nice thing to do, to give a rookie a set of clubs. Yeah, he was trying to lure me in so he could take all my, my money. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best part about that quote is that Scottie Pippen calls it a pair of golf clubs. So you know <laughs> Scottie Pippen does not golf. <laughs> so true i didn't even think of that <laughs> oh the michael the michael jordan like gambling stories are they're just fantastic and there's so many of them out there and i'm sure that we're gonna hear more as this documentary goes along uh scotty pippen though like the whole second episode was scotty pippen like it was all scotty pippen pretty much wasn't yeah it? it seems to and, me that every episode well it they all focus on michael and the whole team Every episode is going to kind of specialize in on one of the players, it seems anyways. And I've heard that the next episode is going to be Rodman. So I kind of like that. Like, I want to learn more about Steve Kerr's story and Tony Kukoc and whoever. These guys on the team. Phil Jackson's story. Like, I'd like to get that perspective while learning the whole story and, and still focusing in on MJ. The other thing I'm wondering is, are we going to see interviews from more people that we haven't seen yet like i feel like charles barkley would be a great interview for a series like this because him and mj had a real rivalry but they they golfed and gambled together on the golf course and there's some great stories that we've heard from charles barkley interviews that i know he would be great for this documentary and maybe reggie miller as well would be a good one yeah it's they can go anywhere really with these next eight episodes and that's what I was going to ask. Like, you just kind of, you kind of just said it, what you want to see over these next few episodes. But I think this doc's doing a great job of uh, navigating timelines as well as trying to tell the story of that one season. Because we know what happens. Everybody knows what happens. Uh, they go on to have, now it's now the second greatest season of all time. But you consider it still the greatest because they won the championship. Um Anyways, it's it's interesting that they are able to tell this story, but also give context through Michael Jordan's or the Chicago Bull history with Michael Jordan and those players on that team. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they decide whether to like like I like we said too, like all the the great personalities on that team from Phil Jackson to Dennis Rodman to Steve Kerr, like the, and they probably have tons of ammo left, tons. Tons of footage. So, yeah, it, it, it takes a great skill to be able to put a documentary together like this. And right now, they're knocking it out of the park. For Absolutely sure. Absolutely knocking it out of the park. There's a few things that stood out to me uh, for the, through the first day of this series. One of them is how... I don't know that you see this anymore, but before Michael Jordan was even winning his championships, like it, it surprised me, first of all, how good he was right away. Because I knew he wasn't the first overall pick in the draft. So I didn't know that he came in 
and people were like holy crap like this guy is unbelievable and that's basically what happened he had a ridiculous rookie season then he got hurt in the second season but still came back and wheeled his team into the playoffs and then had ridiculous efforts against that stacked Boston Celtics roster Larry Bird called him God disguised as Michael Jordan right um but then like it was so interesting how the top players like uh, Larry Bird or Magic Johnson was one that stood out to me and I think what Magic said it was probably around like 88 89 somewhere in that range and he said oh yeah you know Michael Jordan is the best player in the NBA right now it's not even close Magic Johnson was one of the best players in the NBA at that time. Can you imagine another player saying that? Like, in today's age, Kevin Durant, right now, maybe he, well, he's injured, but the last few years you could say, okay, him and Kawhi and LeBron, they're the best. But, like, five years ago, everyone knew LeBron was the best player. But if you ask Kevin Durant, he would say, no, I think I'm the best player in the NBA. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. even though there's a lot of talk about back then, it was – People never teamed up. They hated each other. They didn't go go out to dinner together or whatever the night before the game. But there was that respect still, obviously. There, and, and there was that universal, like, this guy's special, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like it was reality. They understood that everyone else is watching the same thing they're watching. And that doesn't diminish how great Magic Johnson was. But he was willing to stand up there and say, yeah, have you seen this guy? He's better than anyone else that's doing it. There's that famous TV interview. And this was a few years later. I think it's 1990 or 91. And Isaiah Thomas is no longer playing with the, the Detroit Pistons. And I don't know if it's because Isaiah was embarrassed a bit by the way the Pistons handled the whole Bulls rivalry, which I'm sure we're going to hear about later on in this document. If you haven't seen Bad Boys documentary, by the way, that's one of my favorite 30 for 30s, the Detroit Pistons and the way they handled the the Chicago Bulls in that in that doc. Should almost but, watch that before you get to the last dance as well. So you know you what should. Dennis Rodman was before he got to the Bulls. Yeah, yeah, really great point, Rich. Uh, but there's that famous interview on TV, and I can't remember which network it was on, but but like Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, and there was another really like top-flight NBA player. I can't remember who it was, but they all like um, admitted on national TV. They're like, yeah, Michael's the best player, It's and it's not close. Like they all admitted that. And it, it was just crazy to see all those alpha males do it. And, uh, yeah, some of those interviews is, are just great and those sound clips that you're getting. And that's that's one of my chill, get got chills moments in that documentary was Michael talking about how they were going to Boston Gardens and they had to play, like, the number one seed in the first round. The, one of the greatest teams in NBA history in the Chicago in the uh, Boston Celtics and Michael like rose to the occasion. He's like, this is the big time. This is what I live for. I love this. And he here he was with this like you can't you can't name another player on that team besides him anymore. And he was easily the best player on the team, not even close. And here he was trying to defeat one of the greatest teams in NBA history by himself, you know, and scoring 49 points and then 63 points. 63 points is still an NBA record for a playoff game still. And that was against the great, like 
arguably the greatest team in NBA history. That that that's what gave me chills. Yeah, in the, in the first two episodes, that Celtics team was absolutely stacked. The Lakers back then were really good too, obviously, but yeah. the Celtics were the class of the NBA for a long time. They had Parrish and McHale, obviously Larry Bird, Danny Ainge was on that team. It was just a DJ Dennis Johnson. Yeah, Dennis yeah. Johnson. It was up and down. The entire lineup was so strong. Like the starting five were really good. Bill, players. Bill, Bill Walton, even Bill Walton right? was like, really Bill... good back then. That was before he really well, got messed up. Yeah, and he was. I mean, he was an NBA All Star, and he's still one of the greatest. People still consider him one of the greatest college players of all time, and he is. Um, anyways, yeah, just to see some of that. It's, it, it was just great to watch that and see the aura around Michael coming up and Magic and Larry were like the sound clips from them saying, we knew this guy was coming. We knew it was coming, you know? Something that's so crazy too is how when he was drafted and then he's being interviewed about you're going to Chicago, what do you think? And he's talking about, you know, I hope I can go make a difference. I want to make the Chicago Bulls like the Boston Celtics, the LA Lakers, the Philadelphia 76ers. I want to, I want the Boston, um, the Chicago Bulls to be considered in that class of great teams. And what I, growing up in the 90s, you didn't realize that the Bulls were a laughingstock franchise before Michael Jordan. They were being outdrawn at the same stadium by a, an arena soccer team. Like what? <laughs> yeah. That doesn't right? even make sense. The, the U.S. doesn't even like soccer. And, and then, then you put Michael... indoor soccer, and it was outdrawing <laughs> the Chicago Bulls. So, and then now, you you still consider the Bulls, even though they haven't been really very good since Michael left, you still consider them to be kind of like a prestigious team. Like, if you got drafted to the Bulls right now, you'd be like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm going to the Chicago Bulls. This is a good franchise. Um, so he did that. He he completely changed the perception of that franchise. Yeah, and who says one player can't do that? And and even his like his sound clips when he's like, yeah, I just hope that I can contribute. You know, you can just and you just know in his head he's like, I'm taking this team. You know, I'm taking this team to the ship. And uh, yeah, he's special. He's he's special. And I and I love that we get to we get to see it here in the documentary and the fact that the technology existed then. And the footage exists for for that, right? Mm-hmm. And no, nobody's really seen it and put it all together. So that's that's special. I uh, let, I wanted to ask you as well the villain of the first two episodes, Jerry Krause, who he's not alive. He's not. He's not. He can't. He can't defend himself. Um, what did you? Th- think of the way he's been portrayed so far so the first thing i want to say is if they were casting a batman movie he would get cast as the penguin <laughs> like that's first off right they, they were calling him crumbs and like fatty and stuff they eh? both scotty and my like berating him like that's their gm when they're in the uh getting ready to go out and he's like jerry you coming to do the layup line with us jerry come on we gotta layer the uh lower the rim for you Man, they were mean to him, hey? What do 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 you feel bad for Jerry Krause? Well, it seems like that that animosity went all the way back to that second year when they limited his minutes and they wouldn't let yeah. the coach play him more than the 14 minutes per game, which I will say makes sense, but you have to have a little bit of flexibility. 
and and that uh, spot where it was a game with, that they needed to have. I think they were playing the Pacers that game, right? Yeah, Pacers, and yeah. uh, there was <laughs> 15 fucking seconds left. Put me in. <laughs> you know, like, that's crazy. Okay, he's hit his 14 minutes. It's one play. Put him in for the 15 seconds. There's no point. And the fact that they told the coach that they would fire him on the spot if he did that, I think... I think Michael was right. They were trying to miss the playoffs to get a better draft pick. So that goes against everything that MJ stood for. And yeah, I, I think the animosity started from there. And um, I don't, I think they did a fair job because I can't remember who was getting interviewed, but they were saying it might've been, um, well, what's the team owner's name? Um, can't remember. Uh, Reinsdorf. Reinsdorf. Yeah. Store. I think it was him. And he's saying, you know, Kraus was a good man. He he wasn't a bad guy. He was a good guy. So they they put it in perspective. Um, but he's the villain of this story because the story is about the greatest basketball team ever and potentially the greatest North American sports team. I don't want to say sports team because I'm sure. You know, there's probably a Manchester United team that won like 15 championships in a row or something. But, um, you know, that Bulls team is right up there with with the Celtics from a decade or two earlier. And so it's one of the best sports teams of all time. And he wanted to break them up early. What Michael Jordan said in that one interview where he said, look, we still have to defend what we won. You don't break us up until we lo- when we lose it. They could go to the finals and lose in game seven of the finals, and you could say, okay, you didn't win it. It's time to start new. But MJ was right. You don't break up a team that has won five of the last seven championships and is primed to win another. It's crazy. You play to win the game. You, you GM to win titles. And I think MJ said it, you know, rebuilding. That doesn't mean three, four years most of the time. doesn't mean five years. The Bulls have not been back. I don't even know. Have they made it to an Eastern Conference final since that year? So what is the rush to rebuild when there's teams, there's franchises, we know it all too well, that have been trying to win a championship for 50 years that they've been around and they have none. If you have a shot to win a championship, it doesn't matter if you're sacrificing your future. You take it. You have to win the championship. So, yeah, I think he was the villain of the story. And you got, you know, the greatest player in the game, in the history of the game, and you're talking about blowing the team up. Of course, those guys are going to take it personally. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, yeah, he, but he, yeah, yep, you have to give Jerry Krause some credit. Like that trade for Scottie Pippen. It's one of the greatest trades in NBA history, Big right? Time. He put the pieces, he brought in Phil Jackson. Mm-hmm. He made that trade. He got Charles Oakley for Horace Grant. Like he made some great, great moves, but ultimately it is about the players. And that's, uh, that's when you throw the whole ego thing in and, you know, the winners kind of write the history book and the fact that he can't be there to tell his side of the story you're hearing Michael and Scotty's and their side of the story here. So yeah, he's being portrayed as the villain right now. It is what it is. It's making for great television. I'll tell you that. It's the most important thing, Art. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So we await the next four weeks of episodes. Uh, oh. The big question, 
Are you going to stay up till midnight on Sunday to watch episode three? Or will you do the smart thing, get a good night's rest, and watch it Monday after work? Uh, we'll see. I I just, I wish they would, like, not air it so early in the day out east. Like, maybe air at 9 o'clock Eastern time. Oh, wait, you just got to stay off did. Twitter. Air- yeah, I, I got Yeah, and it's hard for me being a news guy, but... Uh, We'll see if I can have some self-control, Rich. Not saying that it's going to happen, but that would be the smarter thing to do. We'll see. I've got uh, I've got some thirty for thirties that I haven't seen on my PVR to tide me over until then. So, out of boy, out of boy. Started the Michael Vick the other day. Yeah, I watched it. It was good. I enjoyed it. It's off to a good start. Yeah, like most uh, most. Uh, ESPN 30 for 30 docs. They're all really good. Yeah, exactly. But we will likely uh, make worthlessly worthwhile a weekly, hopefully hopefully a weekly Tuesday episode for the next four weeks so that we can break down every two episodes of The Last Dance because this is what we've been waiting for for a long time. Dude, this is great and I love it. And I love that we can do this podcast and we can kind of review it and get our thoughts out, you know, on record about this. I love that. So it really shows just how important a documentary can be because we are, uh, let's see, I think we're around almost a half hour into this podcast and we have yet to mention that Rob Gronkowski is coming back to the NFL and he has been traded from the Patriots to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The deal went down today. Uh, The WWE's 24-7 champ is now also a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. He goes, um, it's Gronk and a seventh rounder going to the Bucks in exchange for a fourth round pick to the Patriots. So the first thing I want to say about this, Art, is the reactions on Twitter from Patriots fans are hilarious. Not all, obviously. And I know you're a Patriots fan, so I'm looking forward to getting your take on this. But people somehow think that Rob Gronkowski is worth so much more than getting a fourth round pick. The guy was retired. He was never going to play for them. Getting a fourth round pick for him is a good thing. Like, you're not going to get anything else. It's crazy to think that they should have got, like, a second or a first round pick for Rob Gronkowski. Rich, you want me to talk about the actual trade? Or you want me to talk about the optics around this entire just horror show of an offseason so far for the Patriots. Look, we can't like, be your Patriots fan therapy club here, so we, we can't go down <laughs> that rabbit hole. I don't need to hear about how the 20-year run is over and you're all heartbroken because, look, you got a bunch of Super Bowl rings. Most good things come to an end a lot sooner than they're coming for the Patriots, so you need to just accept it. But I do want your take on the Yeah, trade. okay. All right. Okay, Tough I get luck. it. No one's gonna feel. No one's gonna feel sorry for me. I. Yeah, the trade's a good trade for the Patriots. Trade's a good trade for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, it's a little bit of a risk. You're giving away a fourth round pick. You can get pretty good players in the fourth round. Uh, but let's think about it. Tight ends. They don't usually cost that much money. Like the the highest paid tight end right now is like Zach Ertz, I think. Said 15 million or something like that. Gronk gets 10. Uh, yeah, Gronk. That's not that. That's not that bad. Uh, you're you're getting a guy, another guy. Like you're, they're gonna sell out every game now. 
you get Brady and Gronk. Like this is this is this is insanity. Has and, one like, offseason ever changed years of perception about one franchise like this offseason has for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Has that ever happened? Yeah, I'm just trying to think of like yeah, I mean the Denver Broncos when they got Peyton Manning, that was a huge offseason, but I mean Denver had already won with Elway, right? Yeah. Tampa Bay. Yeah, like it's this, this the the fortunes have just 360 for them getting, you know, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time and now getting arguably the greatest tight end of all time. It's uh it's incredible stuff and like what theater we're seeing. Like what were you more shocked with? Brady signing in Tampa Bay or Gronk now coming out of retirement and saying he doesn't want to play for any other team except for the for the Bronc except for the Bucks. For me, it like, was what, the Brady news, for sure. Okay. We we've covered this a lot, but we we both thought that the the most obvious landing spot was back with the Patriots, gave him the best chance to win. It just made sense. But as this story has unfolded, you learn that I think Brady was just tired of the Patriot way. He wanted a new challenge. He wanted a new atmosphere. He wanted to uh, kind of pave his own way for once and not be tied to the Patriot way and the Bill Belichick way and everything. He wanted to try something new. And what we learned through today's trade is that Rob Gronkowski already made that decision. When they tried to trade him to the Detroit Lions two years ago at the draft, he told them, if you try to trade me, I'm going to retire. I'm not going to play for any quarterback except Tom Brady. Well, Tom Brady was with the Patriots, and he also decided that he had had enough of playing for Bill Belichick. So he retired young. And as soon as Tom Brady went to a new team, it was that easy to say, I'm back, baby. Trade me there. Yeah. Like, it was just that easy. So what for you, what does this tell you? about the Patriot way and about like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. The fact that Gronkowski, who's maybe the second greatest player in Patriot history. I actually like would rather go to Tampa Bay. I actually don't think it's surprising at all. The surprising thing is that it lasted as long as it did to be as successful as the Patriots. And we all know what the Patriot way is. You have to be so strict you can't allow they didn't allow players to have their own personality or to be out there much even tom brady one of the most famous athletes in the world had to keep things in check he couldn't say anything really you know he he wanted to have his own trainer they they shut that that down for a while uh while they did kind of acquiesce to him for a bit they did at one point stop Guerrero from coming on the planes and everything. It's just the Patriot way was very, very strict and regimented, almost like going to play at army. You know, it feels that way. And that's how they've won is by being the team in the NFL that demands this much of their players. But I just feel that 20 years of that can really wear you down. And I really think that Rob Gronkowski, it's shocking that he lasted as long as he did in an atmosphere like that. This guy's a party animal. He is not a Patriot way kind of player, but he made it work. And I think it's because of Brady. I think his relationship with Tom Brady is the only reason he, he stayed there and he did that. 
Um, and at some point he had just had enough and, and 20 years was enough for Tom Brady. And it all kind of adds up now of, and it's not even a, a slight at the Patriots. I think they just did what they had to do to be that successful, but that many years in that kind of atmosphere can just wear somebody down. And if, I don't know, it's just, we're, we're at this point, Rich, where it's like, and this is the way this has split up. And it's the same with Kobe and Shaq. I'm just trying to think of other really important uh, figures that have split up. Michael Jordan and the Bulls? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. You're just going to have to, like, take a side here kind of thing, right? That's 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 the way it's going to be. And that's, it's both bad and good about sports. It's it's great for us fans that we can speculate and and have these narratives. Because this is, these, this is an incredible, incredible narrative right now. Brady versus Belichick and that's 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 what we're going to see over the next couple of years here even though you know they're all getting older and it's a little unfair now I think to judge you know them on their physical feats but I think you can kind of just look back and speculate now just like what like what what do these moves later on tell you about those two personalities and who gravitates to who right mm-hmm. that sort of thing so and I think you're right. I think it's not really a slight, but 20 years is a long time. So anyways, it's what a narrative, man. I And as a Patriots fan, it's just my brain hurts. It's just it's I'm happy for Tom and I'm happy for Gronk. I just it just it hurts. At least they went to the NFC. So you don't feel bad about cheering for them. Yeah. And someone just asked me today they're like are you like a bucks fan now and i'm like yeah i think so like why am i why was i a patriots fan look very in large part was because of tom brady right that you know underdog quarterback that took the team as an underdog to beat the best team in rams in that 2001 super bowl like so but do you it's hard lose not allegiance to... to the Patriots through this? If it's Patriots versus Bucks in the Super Bowl, who are you cheering for? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, I just, come on, I you got to answer the question. <laughs> I, <don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, it's, it's, I've been, and I've been carrying Tom Brady's water for so many years. Like, not that I have to carry his water; his accolades speak for himself. But it's, 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 it's very difficult, and I even like tweeted it tweeted it out today i was just like this this trade is like it makes my brain hurt people are questioning my allegiances justify justifiably so at this point as i'm doing right now (laughs) as you're doing right now so i wish you'd just maybe give me a little more time to uh let 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 it just unfold here because i I need to take a moment to let this information to sink in the, the interesting thing about the deal is Tampa Bay already had pretty good tight ends. OJ Howard was yeah. a first rounder, had a really good um, season two years ago. Last year, I don't know what it was. Guy looked like he couldn't catch anything, couldn't catch uh, coronavirus out in the middle of Florida right now. Um, <laughs> and Cameron Brait, on the other hand, was catching everything. He he was a touchdown machine for Tampa Bay last year. So what do they do now? They've got. O.J. Howard, Cameron Brait, and Rob Gronkowski. You don't bring in Rob Gronkowski to not throw him the football. He's obviously getting a lot of playing time, and they're going to use him. I think you you want to keep one of Howard and Brait, but you should probably trade the other one 
And with the draft being two days away, they better get on the phones now. Yeah, I think OJ Howard has trade value. I think Bray, like he was good in the red zone. Winston loved him in the red zone. That doesn't mean Tom Brady's going to love him in the red zone. Uh, OJ Howard, uh, pretty good in the blocking game coming out of Alabama. Um, we know Gronkowski's prowess in the blocking game. Like he was, he was, he's one of the greatest tight end blockers of all time. Like he, that guy moved people. So, um, I think if you go into the season with a combination of Gronk and Howard, that's probably the best tight end combination in the league. Uh, I agree. A lot of people, Howard, a lot of people are talking about trading Howard because, yeah. like you said, he's the one with the trade value. But I, I disagree. They're looking for a title this year. They're trying to win the title right now. Yeah, Cameron Bright. He's going to fetch you a draft pick. Might not be a high draft pick. Maybe you get your seventh rounder back that you gave up. Um, or they gave a fourth rounder, but maybe they get a seventh. So they add add to the one they got in the Gronkowski deal. But it's not much, but it's something. But when you put I, Gronk and Howard together, it's a very different version. But we've seen success of Gronkowski and another tight end who shall remain nameless. That has worked another before. Florida guy. Another Florida guy, hey? Another Florida guy, yes. Uh, Florida man. Uh, yeah, Florida man. I, I want to ask you, actually, the uh, the uh, draft, I, or one sports book, can't remember which sports book, but uh, they came out with Gronkowski like numbers already. Uh, the over-under was like 625 yards this season, and the... And the... Uh, the... Uh, touchdowns was like i think it was five and a half touchdowns was the over under where where are you going on those two stats i think i'm taking over on the five and a half touchdowns i like him to get somewhere around seven the yards yeah i don't know it's tough because he did look like he had lost a step in his last season but he's still a physically dominant player, and that's why you save him for the red zone. You save he also, him for when it though, counts. He's also had a year off. Like he's going to come in with fresher legs. I think, man, could be. I believe that. The big question yeah. is: Will his durability be any different thanks to a year off? Does that help him, or is he just going to get injured again? Because he he suffered a lot of injuries, and a lot of it was probably wear and tear. And yeah, you're right. Now he's had that year off. Maybe he comes in fresher, but can he make it the whole season? And that that's another reason why I think you keep O.J. Howard. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, and maybe you keep Bright, too. Maybe. Like, why Like why not, right? Why I don't not? know what Bright and, makes, but it can't be much. O.J. Howard's on a rookie contract. Yeah. You I, could and, keep all three. And thing, yeah, and I think the thing about Gronk as well, I think the Patriots used him sparingly in that last year. You saw him come out and dominate the... Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, man, like he he put up a huge game against Kansas City, and then they won the Super Bowl on, you know, the big play of the Super Bowl was his play, right? Mm -hmm. The I think it was like a forty-five yard reception that brought him right at the goal line. Um, so I I think I think he's still got something, and he's not he's not old, like no, he's young. He's, yeah, he's still young. So I I, I think uh, maybe he's not Gronk of. 
four or five years ago, but he's, I think he's still got quite a bit left in him, and he wouldn't come back if he didn't. I don't think, anyway. I want to know where he fits in in the tight end conversation in fantasy football next year, which is similar to just the overall discussion of who the best tight ends in football are. But I think the top two guys are obvious. It's Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs, George Kittle of the 49ers. Those are the top two guys in fantasy football for sure. Uh, then you have your Zach Ertz and your Mark Andrews, kind of that second echelon. Maybe Gronk yeah. fits in just underneath those guys. Is there anyone I'm missing in that category as well? Uh, Eric Ebron. I no. I think uh, I think I would take all those guys ahead of Gronk just because there's uncertainty around there. Mm-hmm. There just there just is. You don't know. You don't know if, how much he's going to play, or you know, or what the system's going to be like with uh, with Arians and Brady. Although I. I have a feeling it's going to be pretty good. I think someone will take a risk at him, a risk on him though. Like, I think he might he might get taken before Andrews. You know what I mean? Like, maybe Andrews should be taken before him, but there's a chance he gets taken before Andrews. I don't know if people would take him over Ertz. I see. I I think it's probably Zach Ertz, and then Gronko go. That's the no. way. Not, not just not not. I don't think that's the right move. I think I would take Andrews. But I think Gronk will go before Andrews. Now, your team name is the big Gronkowski. You may have to reach <laughs> for him, you know? The defending champs uh, reaching for their Gronkowski. And everybody made fun of me. Like, how come you haven't changed your name? You know, Gronkowski is no longer in the season or no no longer in the league. Uh, well, my team went on to win last year. In his honor. Greg, in his honor. So what what happens now that he's back? Will Art reach for him? Hmm. Will the big Gronkowskis reach for Gronk in Tampa? The answer, of course, is yes. Very good question. (laughs) The answer, of course, is blowing in the wind for Trout. You know why you won last year with Gronk retired, right? Because I didn't take him early. (laughs) For the first time in your fantasy football career, you did not reach to pick Rob Gronkowski. (laughs) He did you a favor. Yeah, yeah. Although I tell you, like uh, Gronk was never the problem with any of my fantasy teams. I don't believe. No, but I think it was yeah. poor strategy to take him that early. Perhaps I uh, I've been called a homer many times in my fantasy sports career. Especially that goes fantasy that baseball. goes over all sports. Yeah, but I still do pretty well in fantasy baseball. That's I, I have pointed that out to everybody and everybody kind of agreed like there was no disputing the facts right it's because you're a front runner you like good players (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is true typical patriots this is true guilty guilty uh tom brady he was also in the news today yes well i guess yesterday he was the uh, governor of florida he was called a florida man in this story florida man gets caught working out in public park that's closed Turns out it was Tom Brady. This is a great story. The governor, the way she told it too, like, oh, one of our park rangers saw a gentleman working out in a park, which is closed. So she went to tell him, you know, sorry, this park is closed. You're going to have to move on. And it was Tom Brady. (laughs) So this begs the question, Art, why is Tom Brady at a public park in Tampa Bay during the coronavirus pandemic instead of at his mansion? I think he's renting a mansion from like, Derek Derek Jeter. Jeter. Yeah, Derek Jeter. So does he not have space to work out at home? What is going on here? 
Well, first off, the Wi-Fi is so bad at Derek Jeter's house. Like we 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 heard that in the Howard Stern interview, how bad the Wi-Fi was. That could oh, be okay. one reason for it. That could be one reason for it. The other reason, I and this is something he alluded to in his Howard Stern interview about how his wife Giselle was upset with how much time he was spending on football and not with his family. And maybe it's become so unbearable for Giselle to watch her man constantly practice football at home and not spend time with her kids that Tommy had to get out of the house for a moment. We're all struggling. It's quarantine. We're all in self-isolation. People hate their families right now. I get it. Tom wanted to go out to the park for a little bit. Was it wrong? Yes. But you know what? I feel like Giselle... And I don't want to like, I don't want to criticize Giselle. She's, she's great. Clearly, one of the most beautiful women in the world. She seems very smart. She's she's awesome. But I think she's got something against Tommy's football career. I I really believe that. So this brings us to our brand new segment art, which we call <laughs> Wild Speculation where we wildly <laughs> speculate about something that's going on in the sports world. Other shows just call that their show. Like First Take, for instance. They they wildly speculate about everything, but they call it journalism. We're going to call it like it is. It's wild speculation. We have no inside sources. We don't know what's going on. But we're going to wildly speculate about why Tom Brady really left New England. And so this does bring up a very good point. Did Tom Brady leave because Giselle told him, if you're going to keep playing football at this age, you're going to have to move to a different city. You are not staying in this house during the football season. And he had to go, all right, I'll go to Tampa Bay then. That's what happened, right? It's warmer too, right? Because he's older. Yeah. Then that's what old, rich people do, right? They retire to Florida. As Jerry Seinfeld said, really... go to Florida to die. <laughs> is Tom Brady going to Florida to die? This is all Giselle's fault. This is why Tommy's no longer New England Patriot. I wildly speculate that Giselle was the main... What, what's, the, what's the quote? Behind every great man is a wife calling the shots, right? So, something along something those like lines. Something like that, yes. Yeah, and, I, and you know what? I don't think it's uh, blasphemy to consider that Giselle had a huge play in this. And maybe, I don't know, I don't know how many pictures have been at that Jeter house. Maybe she's not even there. Maybe it's just Brady. Could right? be. Could be. She told him, oh. get out of Boston. You're not staying here. You want to play is... football, go somewhere else. Is this like a divorce? Is there a divorce behind the scenes right now? I don't think Richie? there's a divorce, but that's some good wild speculation art. There's a divorce happening, and that's the real reason. It wasn't a divorce between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. It was a divorce between Giselle Bunchen and Tom Brady. You know, today's news makes me think that this this Giselle theory is good, but what if this whole thing was set up all along with Gronk last year? Gronk said, Tom, I've had enough. Can't take it anymore. I'm taking the year off. You play your final year of your contract. You pick a place. I'll get there. This was all set up a year ago between Tom Brady and Gronk. 
to get the hell out of New England and join up somewhere else and Tampa Bay's where it happens to be. It, it all makes <laughs> sense now. Uh, question, though. Uh, Julian Edelman, where does he fit into this whole thing? Julian Edelman is the, the forgotten stepchild in this whole thing. Like, he is... I, the the social media memes and and gifs are just fantastic. You got the the Millhouse throwing a frisbee to himself, or the SpongeBob where they're looking down at the lonely guy, and it's Edelman. There's just so many. One of my favorite ones was the uh, the final scene from Fresh Prince of Bel Air where Will Smith is standing in the empty house and they put Edelman's face on it. Such good content on social media today about Julian Edelman. And, this is where the internet wins. Yeah. And it must be mentioned that I saw today on Twitter that Julian Edelman has unfollowed Tom Brady on the Instagram. This has happened. What? What? Okay, I don't know so what did they? Yeah, like, I don't. That doesn't make any sense. Those guys are like best buds. Like this must be like a, a spat, right? Maybe this, this is, is one of those like, like, like your 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 uh, high school girlfriend. You have to break up because she goes off to a much better college than you. Although it doesn't really work because the Patriots won a bunch of Super Bowls. But anyways, let's for for sake of this argument, let's go with that. She goes off to the much better college, so you have to break up. It's not because she wanted to get away from you but life has taken her to a better place but you don't want to follow her social media because you're just going to sit there and think about all the old times and what you're missing so even though you're not upset you just got to unfollow the gram is it possible that that's what julian edelman is doing he just he can't bear to watch tommy and gronk living it up in tampa where he's going to be stuck catching passes from jared stidham doing it the patriot way there's uh there's a great clip on social media going around right now and it's i think it's like it's it's a it's from tiger king and it's talks and it's joe exotic talking about going to visit his friend down in florida and they like put edelman's face on he's like i'm just gonna go visit my friend down in florida <laughs> Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, I I I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's really sad though because those guys are like if you watch every Patriots scene from the past almost ten years now, it's Brady and Edelman. Like those guys are just the closest of friends. So it's sad, man. It's sad. To continue our wild speculation, maybe Tommy told him he was going to come back. Remember when they were at, uh, was it the basketball game or something like that? And they were on camera and uh, Edelman goes, he's coming back. He's coming back. And then Brady didn't come back. Maybe Edelman really thought Tommy was coming back and he feels hurt that he left. Could have happened. I'm sure. I'm sure there's some hard feelings there. And then seeing Gronk there is just, it's too much. It's too much for old Jules. I feel bad for him. Yeah, that's. That's going to be a tough pill to swallow this year. They got to get maybe someone they, better in there. Well, maybe they should trade Julian Edelman for Cameron Bright. That seems like a pretty fair trade, right? I'm kind of surprised they didn't get a tight end back in that deal, actually. Well, maybe it should be. Let's think about it. Like, maybe it should be Julian Edelman and that fourth round pick back to Tampa Bay for O.J. Howard. 
they could have just done that in the first place, but yeah, it, it yeah, wouldn't right? be a bad trade. Yeah, the Patriots. Like, you get a younger guy. You know, Edelman is is probably starting to decline. You look at his size. He's a Wes Welker kind of guy, not a big guy. He's taken a lot he of not hits. Have a, he didn't have a good year last year, and it was because he was injured for most of the year. Now would be the time to trade him, and maybe the Bucks aren't willing to give up. I mean, why would they? They already have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. That's one of the best one-two punches in the NFL for wide receivers. Can we talk about, like, just how good the NFC South is now? We just got Brady and Gronk. Like, this is... This is incredible stuff. It really is. Like, fuck this whole COVID thing. Let's get into the NFL season right now. Let's hope this season happens. Wouldn't it be very Tampa Bay Buccaneers to go all in on a season that doesn't end up happening? It would be really Tampa Bay. I mean, you can't blow a season that never ends up getting played. So there is that. Is that, yeah. Yeah. Last year, I bet the Browns wish that last year is when COVID hit and then they didn't play because they were the talk of of the town everywhere. Everyone was talking about the Browns last year. What a great offseason they had. How amazing the Cleveland Browns are. They had basically been crowned Super Bowl champions already. It's true. They, yeah, that's right. That's right. With getting... Uh, Jarvis Landry and getting Odell Beckham Jr. Everybody's like, oh, this team's the way to go. Baker Mayfield showing all that promise. Uh, yeah, we'll see. They are the Cleveland Browns in the end. We'll see if uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Yeah, exactly. We are going to see. Um, something oh. else that dropped this morning. The LA Chargers unveiled their new uniforms. Ooh. What is your verdict on the new jerseys, Art? Yeah, they're nice. They are nice. They're nice. Really They're really nice. It's, uh, I think all the NFL jerseys are pretty nice. A lot of them look the same as what they had before. But, uh, I think the Chargers, they're, they're, they're sharp. They're, they're, uh, they're nice color schemes. I think most of the color schemes that I've seen so far have been really nice. The newest Um, one that they unveiled though, like the kind of midnight dark blue with just the outline of the lightning bolt. Yeah. That, that's a fresh look. I like that one. That's a good one. Very unique. The color rush. Yeah. I uh, I think they're very simple. A lot of them are very simple, which I like. I really do like. So, yeah, it gets a thumbs up for me. And we've got the NFL draft in two days, Art. Man, so we haven't even gone to the NFL draft yet. <laughs> we have not gotten there, but we're getting there now. The most exciting part about this year's draft is that it's being done completely virtually and so they did a mock draft the other day to test out the kinks and there was technical difficulties with the first overall pick by the Bengals this was just a couple days ago and then the other difficulty they had I don't know who it was that was quoted as saying this but uh, when all the GMs were on a conference call together most of them did not know they had to mute themselves so it was just a bunch of people making noise in the background and as it turns out, NFL GMs are no better than Gerald from accounting at any office because we've all been on those conference calls. I was once on a conference call nationwide at my company. Hundreds of people on this call, Art. And yeah. it hadn't started yet, so everyone's quiet. And all you hear is, yeah, I'll take a medium, double-double, black, uh, or not black, but uh, double-double, and uh, a bagel with cream cheese. He, he was at the Tim Hortons drive-thru. 
It's unbelievable. <laughs> Nobody knows how to mute themselves. So apparently the NFL GMs have this exact same problem. And I always enjoy watching the NFL draft. But this year feels like appointment viewing because I cannot wait to see what goes wrong. They're doing mock drafts. Of course, the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, the first pick didn't work over because, you know, it's the Cincinnati Bengals, right? Things don't work for them. Uh, I I think they're going to continue to do mock drafts. Like, they probably did one today. They probably did one yesterday. And they're probably going to do one uh, tomorrow just to make sure, right? Uh but yeah, it's 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 interesting in a war, and we we're we're victims of this too, Rich. Like how we it's very difficult to broadcast across the world still in people's homes, like because Wi-Fi isn't there yet. Like there isn't a universal Wi-Fi that works for everybody. Uh, technology is different for everybody. Uh, it's still we don't have anything universal yet. So uh, this is one of the biggest moments in the NFL season. And to see it all go down on TV and to see, to to have the potential that everything could go wrong is like, it's amazing in itself to watch. Like this, it's, uh, it's, this whole period over the last month or so has actually been quite validating because you and I record this podcast over Skype. Yeah. We've, we've been doing this for a while. We've been tinkering, trying to find the best way to make it work. Um, and you always have those kind of like audio hiccups where the audio glitches a little bit, something to do with the connection, right? But we're seeing all these ESPN shows like Pardon the Interruption or Highly Questionable or all these different shows. They're going on doing the exact same thing we're doing. They're connecting to each other over Zoom or Skype or whatever. They have the exact same problem. They have the little audio glitches and it's on ESPN now. And so... I don't feel as bad about our audio problems after watching yeah. this stuff go live on ESPN. I feel like we're pretty good. We're like, we're, we're doing all right. I can see we're you. We're as you good or better. Yeah. The viewers can't see anything because there are no viewers, just listeners. But uh, we can see each other. That's the important thing. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I don't feel that bad. Anyway, anyway, to see it like go out on one of the, you know, the craziest nights in NFL, the NFL season is going to be pretty fantastic all we need is uh kevin costner that's that's all we need now for this for uh for the nfl draft oh it's a, you bring up a really good point art because um draft day the kevin costner film draft day very underrated it is flick. it's a good sports movie and it feels like the type of movie that you watch once a year right before the nfl draft if you have not seen draft day i suggest you check it out tomorrow night before thursday's draft but Spoiler alert. We're going to do a little spoiler alert here, Art, right? If you haven't seen the film, Kevin Costner, he's the GM of the Browns, and he pulls off a big move on draft day by strong arming the Seahawks GM, which makes me so happy because I'm a 49ers fan, and I, I love seeing the Seahawks get strong armed like this. Um, but this is the best part of draft day at the very end. I'm sorry, that deal's now off the table. What? We live in a different world than we did just 30 seconds ago. What do you want now? I want my picks back. I want David Putney. I need a punt returner. Where the hell that come from? It doesn't matter. I want all my picks back and I want David goddamn Putney just because I feel like it. You're out of your mind. Yeah, I am. Haven't I proved that already? 
You make this deal right now, Tom, and you get Bo Callahan. Say it with me. You get Bo. Come on, Tom, say it with me, you pancake-eating motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, the score is great in that movie. You got, you know, Kevin Costner at his, like, sports, you know, he's just... He's just good for these type of sports movies. He's just he's the king of these type of sports movies. The fact that the Dennis score Leary. is like um it sounds like it's out of Apollo 13 or something where they're returning lost astronauts from space successfully <laughs> and all that happened was that Kevin Costner made good on a terrible trade he had made just a couple days earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And but I mean that movie it's got Dennis Leary, it's got uh it's got uh, Chadwick Boseman, who's like, he's the star of that new Black Panther movie. Like he's like, it's got Arian Foster in it. Like it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a good movie and it's underrated. It doesn't get talked about a lot uh, on the pantheon of like sports movies. And I know I quote that movie just about every draft, whether it's a, you know, fantasy football draft or the NFL draft. I quote it. Almost like, every I told, year you send me a text yeah. about something about David goddamn Putney. And what did I say this year during our fantasy draft? I said Christian Caffrey, Christian McCaffrey, or or bust or something yes, like that. I, that's true. Show, you, right? Uh, it's a very good way of slipping this into the conversation, Art. You had the first overall pick in the fantasy draft this year. Everyone yeah. was taking Saquon Barkley. Everyone. Yeah. And you yeah. stuck to your guns and took Christian McCaffrey first overall, and you said Christian McCaffrey or bust, and yeah. you were validated. Oh, it's one of my greatest moments in fantasy, in fantasy sport, sports history in my career. So I'm, I'm happy that we could talk about it here, Rich. This is a really good transition, though, Art. You went against the grain and picked someone that others were not thinking of for first overall, even though very highly rated. Everyone, but it was everyone thinks Joe Burrow is going first overall to the Bengals. And it seems like it's foregone conclusion. Joe Burrow, number one overall pick to the uh, Bengals. But everyone also agrees that Chase Young is the best player in the draft. And I get the importance of the quarterback. is It's so important. It's true. But I don't understand the thought of, let me take a flip of a coin on a quarterback at number one overall. So you might end up with basically nothing because if that quarterback is not a franchise quarterback, you basically have nothing. You already have Andy Dalton. So this guy's got to be better than Dalton or it doesn't matter. Or you could take almost a guaranteed sure thing in Chase Young because history shows us over the last few years that at the top of the draft, pass rushers, generally pass rushers translate. The skills from college translate to the NFL there's very few misses at the top of the draft on pass rushers, but there's a lot of misses on quarterbacks still. And there's actually very few that go on to win anything. We've seen successful first or second overall picks. Uh, Carson Wentz has had a good career. Uh, Goff. Jameis Winston is now out of a job. Um, Andrew Luck was the one who really looked like the sure thing, but Joe Burrow didn't even have that good of a season one year ago. This year was his breakout party. He probably would have been like a third round draft pick if he hadn't had the season he just came off of. So the question I pose to you is, 
would you rather that your team gets the guaranteed all pro pass rusher at first overall or take a risk on someone that could become the franchise quarterback but could just as easily fizzle out i've had this conversation so many times with you with other people you can't win anything in the nfl unless you have a quarterback i think that i think that's been proven nick Foles was a super bowl mvp a few years ago if you have the yeah. right team, you need a good quarterback. You don't need a great yeah, quarterback. You... Look, the the 49ers took Nick Bosa last year, second overall. They didn't need a quarterback because they have a good quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is not Tom Brady. He's not Peyton Manning. He's not a superstar, quarter, superstar quarterback, but he's a good quarterback. He's a very good quarterback. And that Nick Bosa pick pushed that defense over the edge. And they were a couple defensive stands away from winning the Super Bowl with a good quarterback. So I disagree with the thought that you have to have the franchise quarterback to win a Super Bowl. I think you need a good quarterback and a really good team around them. And the Bengals could really use a guy like Chase Young. And to me, Washington is getting the home run at number two overall by getting Chase Young. And it's the exact same thing that happened last year. The Cardinals took Kyler Murray, which looks like a good pick. He, he had a good rookie season. He looks like a good player. But is he ever going to win anything for that team? Could you just go out and get a good quarterback in a different way, whether signing or trading or whatever it is, and take the top pass rusher that is very hard to find in other ways in the NFL? I, I'm starting to come around to the thought that you take the best player available. And these are all great points to take the best player available, but I understand why teams want to get that quarterback. Like you get the right quarterback that changes the fortunes of the team far more than a pass rusher does. Right. If you get a pass rusher, yes, they can be very good and they can help your team. If you have more good defensive players, like the impact of that pass rusher or any defensive player, isn't the same as the impact of a quarterback. So I understand why teams reached and try and get their franchise quarterback. I get that allure, even if it's not the smart thing to do, like you've just mentioned. Like, there's a lot of reasons to take, you know, the J.J. Watt over Deshaun Watson. But I'll tell you, man, like, if you were to ask, if you were to ask the... Uh, or let's say let's let's go Bobby Wagner or Russell Wilson. If who would you rather have, Bobby Wagner or Russell Wilson? Well, I'd rather have Russell Wilson, but they took him in the third round. Yeah, I I, I just think that if you were to like redo those drafts and you had a choice between those two guys in the first round, most people are going to take Russell Wilson, right? But you just know because that he's a sure the franchise. Thing now. Yeah, and that's part of it. That and that's and yes, the, the hindsight works there. But I just think that that quarterback position is by far the most important position in the NFL, and I think teams know that, and that's why that's why they uh, they reach. So the Bengals I think, have never spent I think a lot Warren's of money. They've never made the big trade. They've always they haven't even done as much as getting a new coach. It took them over a decade of Marvin Lewis to finally replace him, even though he couldn't win a playoff game. But they've never given him a ton. They've always had a good team. And Andy Dalton was good enough 
for the last few years to have good seasons keep them in the mix in a strong division get into the playoffs the problem was they could never get over the hump but I think Andy Dalton is a good quarterback AJ Green is a good wide receiver they have good pieces and I think if you could build that team and keep Andy Dalton as the starting quarterback you could build he's a good enough quarterback if you have the right team around him I really believe that I've seen it everyone's down on him because they had a bad year last year he was injured for part of it but they they sucked around him the defense was terrible Andy Dalton doesn't play defense I'm not saying he's a world beater but is he worse than Nick Foles is I don't think so. I think he's a better quarterback than Nick Foles is. Now, don't get me wrong. Nick Foles had a great playoffs in that playoffs. And the Super Bowl, he was phenomenal. He had a great game. He played like a Tom Brady in that game. But I think you can win a Super Bowl with a good quarterback if you have a really good team. Yeah, I hear that. But um, a lot of the time, Rich, I think the team is defined by who the quarterback is. And... That's the face of your franchise. And if you can get a franchise guy like Russell Wilson, you're gonna you're gonna go all out to get him. You know, and if someone thinks that Joe Burrow is that guy for their team, they're gonna take him. And that's why the Bengals are gonna take him first overall. Yeah, with all that said, <laughs> there's no question. Right. The Bengals are taking Joe Burrow is is no question. And the best part of this for Washington is this is a franchise that is known for making terrible decisions. They don't have a decision to make at number two. Chase Young is the most obvious pick at that spot. It's it's mindless for them. They just go up there and they pick Chase Young. So they're lucky in that regard because they can't even screw this up. Um, I think he's going to make a big if, difference for that team. What if they go crazy and go off the board and take Tua Tonga Viola? That would be the dumbest thing they could do because they already took Dwayne Haskins last year. Um, I know. And they they would be passing up probably a very likely all-pro pass rusher, which you really need. In today's NFL, you need that kind of pass rushing to win. And that division is up for grabs. The Eagles are still struggling. They need They need something to get going. The Cowboys are the Cowboys. Tons of talent. The Cowboys and the Cowboys haven't even come to terms with Dak Prescott yet. Like, it's crazy, man. You've got two new coaches in that division. Well, three new coaches, but Washington's got Rivera. You've got Mike McCarthy in Dallas and Joe Judge for the Giants. So the Eagles are the only team with stability, but I feel like the division is up for grabs. It has been almost every year, like eight and eight almost wins that division. Most years it's pathetic. Yeah. So I agree. It's, Washington, yeah. while not impressive at all last year, they, they got a good coach, good defensive coach. They're getting a good defensive player at number two. Maybe they can tough enough defensively and they can find a way to, to score some points. I think Dwayne Haskins showed some strides late in the season last year as he got more playing time. He could turn out to be a pretty good quarterback and uh, they might be able to win some games. It's going to be an interesting division to watch. Interesting draft too, man. It's uh, with nothing else going on. It's of real consequence right now in professional sports. It's going to be the... The highest watched draft ever, maybe. 
which is crazy to think because the production value is going to be awful compared to a regular draft. I always enjoy enjoy the first round of the draft. I watch it every year. It is must-watch television. I watch the first round of every draft, basically, except for the MLB draft, because they do it in the middle of the season. It's like the weirdest thing ever. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, and... Uh, I, I... There's so... Like, I think this draft, because of the technology issues and the fact that... <laughs> the broadcast is off the rails. Like we have no idea what's going to happen. They have no idea what's going to happen. It's just another, like, it's like another reality TV show. It really is. It's fantastic. It's going to be great. It, it's going to be interesting. I, like I said, it's appointment viewing. I want to see what goes wrong. Yeah, me too. Switching gears art. Um, interesting headline that I saw on Twitter the other day. Unexpected, I would say. Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez uh, trying to raise funds to buy the New York Mets. A-Rod and J-Lo owning an MLB team. What could go wrong? Oh, my God. Like, first off, thank you for bringing this to my attention because I didn't see it. Uh, they are like... They're a power couple right now. This they is really are. a huge power couple. Yeah. I'm not saying they're Jay Z and Beyonce, but I, they like, that's what a great. I, I just don't talk about their relationship. Like, A Rod, who we've come to know a little bit more now because of broadcasting, and he's actually become kind of a likable guy, right? Even though he was such a prick in his playing days, uh, he cheated the game. Uh, he's become a likable figure, so to speak, through broadcasting. And then J Lo, who, like, is maybe the biggest diva in the history of divas, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and the other thing about A-Rod, not just his broadcasting, if you watch Shark Tank, he he's a guest shark occasionally, very likable on that show as well. Smart. Yeah, he's a likable guy. He is, and nobody really saw that coming. So uh, can you imagine them owning an MLB team? I mean, lots of crazy shit has gone down in this world, but... Uh, Maybe they'll buy like a stake in it or something, or maybe they're getting a lot of really rich people together to buy the Mets, right? Well, I, think, I, I don't know. Yeah, the full they're story. getting a group together yeah. and they would be yeah, yeah. leading the group. But yeah. can you imagine a better team for that kind of like circus show ownership group? Not that I actually yeah. think I I think A Rod's a, a really smart investor and he might be a good owner, but just the the attention that goes along with the both of them. Um, the Mets would be just the perfect franchise for them to own. And then I don't know how Yankees fans feel about A-Rod, but I wonder if it would bother them if he bought the Mets. Because it's different. Jeter went to the, the Miami Marlins. He grew up in Miami, I think. Jeter did. I know A-Rod mm-hmm. tried to get in on that Miami Marlins deal and wasn't able to, so this is next best thing, I guess. But to buy the the crosstown rival, ooh, that's interesting. And I don't know about investing in a baseball team. I just, for me, it's not as sexy as investing in like in an NBA team or a, you know an NFL team. It's probably less expensive, a lot less expensive, right? And the Mets, who aren't the Yankees, right? So I I kind of get it, but um, just interesting. It's all interesting. I mean, it's a baseball team in New York City. I guess if you can find a way to 
ingrain them into the culture but i just i don't think it's possible i actually saw a story the other day it wasn't well not a story but a poll question from the Sportsnet radio station out in Toronto, and it was, would you support a second NHL team in Toronto? And I think it was like 47% said yes, 53 said no. Um, what the hell are they talking about? That town is a Maple Leafs town, and there's absolutely nothing to suggest that a team could go into Toronto and succeed. Uh, it's not going to happen. But that's a side, uh, side note. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, population-wise, right, it's who has a good team, and then that's where you can get you can get fans. But ultimately, if both teams are tanking, one's obviously going to go for the legacy there. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting, though. I mean, the Mets have some cachet. They've got some celebrity fans and whatnot. And some people like the anti-establishment, so the Yankees are the popular thing in town, so they go for the, the opposite. It's kind of like the Clippers in LA but uh at least the Mets have their own stadium I think that's an important thing as well they have their own identity and their own area of the town that they kind of own that's what the Clippers really need and I know Bomber is working towards getting that because even with Kawhi and Paul George it really feels like the Lakers are number one and the Clippers are a bit of an afterthought 100% true man there's no that's that's there's no doubting that but if the Clippers like uh I mean, obviously, we're not getting an NBA season here in the finale, which is too bad because we were all hoping to see Kawhi versus LeBron. Like, I feel like that was the big, the big ending here to this uh, to this NBA playoffs or this NBA season. So that's unfortunate that we're not getting that. Yeah, we're getting robbed of that that series for sure. We are. Well, it's been about a month of quarantine, approximately, more or less. So we got some questions that I, of course, saw on Twitter that uh, we're going to answer. The quarantine questionnaire. So I'm, I'm going to go through your answers first, Art, and then I'll give you my answers. So first question is, what is your favorite quarantine activity? I'm going to say rollerblading. It's been the most fun that I've had so far. And it's I know it's kind of like getting out, which you're not 100% supposed to do. But you are supposed to get fresh air. At least that's what our provincial health officer is saying. So I go around the yard here, and I kind of live near the ocean, so I'm lucky that way. So, yeah, I'm dusting off the old rollerblades, coasting by people and trying to stay out of people's ways, six feet apart from people. I'd say rollerblading is it's rollerblading and drinking. Those are probably my two favorite activities. Hopefully not at the same time. Or is Can that how you ended in? up with a big cut on your wrist that you uh, sent me a photo of? Yeah, there it is. Yeah, that's that, that, that's correct. I, um, I I may have been drinking as well as uh, as uh, as rollerblading. So yeah, that may have happened. Rich, thanks for bringing it up. No problem. That's what I'm here for. My so favorite uh, yeah, my favorite quarantine favorite? Yeah. activity has become going to sit in my parents' yard about 10 feet apart from them. Just sitting in the sun. Because my apartment faces north. We're in Canada. It's not summer yet. I don't get any sun on my deck or into my apartment. So I sit out, sit in my uh, room here in the office or out in the living room. I see the sun, but I don't feel it. So the weekend comes, hop in the car, drive 20 minutes, and we just 
plop a chair down, sit in the sun and have a beer. And so sitting has become my favorite activity in quarantine time. <laughs> well, you, you got a fiance too, Rich, and you can have conversations. I got to get out there, get some fresh air. See, we're in different situations. Everybody's in different situations. It's true. Quarantine. We've also started running. Uh, we, we went for our, like our sixth run in the last two and a half weeks today. So getting into running now, I've become one of those. Because getting out of the yeah, house how does it is feel? Important. How does it feel? Feels great. You get shin splints yet? Get... No, no. Okay. But uh, feel it in the calves. You know, running on the pavement is pretty harsh. But it'll help me come rec hockey season whenever that is, if that ever yeah, happens again. You feel you've expanded your lungs. That's that's the big thing. Exactly. Okay. Next question is the book that you are reading. Uh. Um, I don't have time to read books right now, unfortunately, because I'm a school scholar trying to get my master's degree. So any reading that I'm doing is scholarly articles that I've been assigned about communication. I'm trying to get my master's in professional communication. So um, I'm not reading any books. I'm reading literature, academic literature, Rich. Yeah, so I'm not reading either. My answer was Twitter, which is not a book. (laughs) Um, I am partway through a John Feinstein novel, not novel, but, uh, biographical story, whatever you want to call it, um, called army versus Navy about the army Navy football game. I started it about six years ago and I haven't picked it up in about three or four years. So, uh, I don't think that classifies as reading it. So let's change this to what show are you watching right now? Uh, I'm now watching Better Call Saul because I just finished Shit's Creek and I'm also watching I'm also watching Clone Wars. Uh, so yeah, I'm watching uh, Better Call Saul. That's what I'm watching. So I'm on uh, Shit's Creek now because we just finished Ozark. So I'm on I'm on the Shit's Creek train now. Love it. It's uh, it's a great show and they're in their final season, which. Um, I think it's actually on demand now. You can watch the entire final season on demand. Uh, also, you can watch the entire final or entire fifth season of Better Call Saul, which is now on demand. So you might want to get on that one too there, Richie. Uh, definitely part of the plan. I watched Breaking Bad. I watched the first almost two full seasons of Better Call Saul. Uh, but now the fiance is just about asking good. about what good crime shows there are. So I might have to go do a rewatch of Breaking Bad first and then go to Better Call Saul. Nice. Nice. You got a lot of, you got a lot of good TV ahead of you there. A lot man. of catching up to do. Okay, Art. Favorite snack? Favorite snack. Good question. Okay. So there's two things. One, peanut butter pretzels. I don't know if you've had them. They sound great. You can get them at Costco. There, it's just like this. It's a pretzel, and it has like a little bit of peanut butter in it. It's oh my god! I could eat a whole box in a couple of days. And I got like they're kind of expensive. You can get like a box of I don't know, maybe twenty, twenty-five of them, and for like five bucks at uh, at uh, Thrifty's Foods or any of your local supermarkets. It's yeah. These little pretzel things, and I, I can't stop eating them. Like I, I just about ate an entire box today at work. I had to give some to my coworker and say, "Here, please eat the rest of these, so I don't eat them." Um, you know, they're they're full of carbs. Uh, pretzels, yeah, peanut butter pretzels. 
unreal. Uh, and I would also say that uh, the uh, Caesar, the Caesar drink, which plays like a meal because I put so much garnish, put so many garnishes on it. Like I have pepperoni stick, I got olives, I got pickles, I got celery along with my Clamato juice based uh, drink. So I, I figure it's kind of like a snack in itself. So there you go. The peanut butter pretzel to go with the heavily garnished Caesar drink. The Caesar that drinks like a meal. <laughs> yes. So I'm a chip guy. It's yeah. been tough narrowing it down, but I'm going to go with two. You've got your classic ketchup chips. I like either oh, so Old Dutch or Lay's. Both of them different in their own ways, but delicious. And then Old Dutch has a barbecue-flavored corn chips. Ooh, fantastic. So those are the two that I'm going to go with for my favorite snacks right now. Man, I don't know about you, but during the whole isolation, self-quarantine, and only going to the grocery store once in a while, I don't care what goes in that shopping cart. Like, if I want it, I got it. Like, I, I don't... I'm not caring about my the my the size of my waist, you know, the number of cards, how much sugar, whatever. I'm throwing it in. I got peach fuzzes, I got Oreos, I got chips, I got peanut butter pretzels, I got I got all sorts of fatty foods and I don't care. I don't care. It's part of this whole quarantine thing. You only live quarantine once and 15. you're rollerblading it off, so it's all good. Exactly. Do you feel the same way? You don't care. Oh, you, totally. you just bite it all. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have a feeling we're going to go with uh, similar teams here. I could be wrong, but our the fa- favorite classic game to watch now that all the sports channels are playing the classic games. Okay, well, they're they're playing the Super Bowls quite often, and there's back to there's two Super Bowls that are just. They're just fantastic. The 2014 Super Bowl, uh, the Patriots Seahawks Super Bowl, and then I'll even—I mean, I don't love it, but I'll watch the the Patriots uh, Eagles Super Bowl, which was like, which was a couple of years later. But then you had the Patriots Falcon Super Bowl. Those three Super Bowls are getting played almost back to back to back quite often, and I'll watch all of them. They're all fantastic. I love, I don't know which one I love more, even though the comeback is amazing. The Falcons Patriots Super Bowl, the 28 to three comeback. But there was something about that Seattle Super Bowl. Like it was such a well-played game and it came down to the end with, you know, maybe the greatest moment in Super Bowl history. Uh, maybe that's my most favorite. Uh, I, and I'll tell you, any, I'm, I'm rewatching everything that's on right now. Like, I love watching old games. I'm rare that way. A lot of people don't, they like, they, they don't, they, they know what the, they know, they know the outcome. So they don't care as much when they're watching. But I, I love going back in time and watching those games and watching those highlights. So I'll watch it all, man. I think what's your favorite. Sometimes you get struck by something catching you off guard because you know the result. And so you might remember the game differently than it actually played out. And so I punished myself by watching Game 7 of the Canucks Bruins Stanley Cup Final in 2011, which was, I, I knew it was going to be difficult, but I remember that game feeling when the first goal went in that it was over. 
And the momentum of the series, obviously, Boston had blown the Canucks out in game six when they had their first chance to, to win the cup. Um, and you just felt when Boston scored that goal that it was over. But I remember watching that game and feeling like it was over. And it for some reason, I remember that as a game that the Canucks had no chance in. They basically never had a chance to win that game. That's how my memory had it. But when I watched it again, I realized the Canucks really outplayed Boston in the first period. And even after the first goal, they continued to outplay them into the second period. They were heavily outshooting them. They had the better scoring chances. Um, and then Boston got the 2-0 goal. And that's basically where it went downhill. But it was one nothing for a, a long time as well. Like The game was not over until late in the second, I think it was. Um, and even at that point, it technically wasn't over. But when it's Game 7 of a Stanley Cup Final, you know a two-goal deficit feels like 40 goals. It feels like it's insurmountable. But it did strike me how, how well the Canucks actually played early in that game. They just couldn't catch a break. And it it almost hurts more because now you realize like if they had just gotten a lucky bounce at some point, everything could have been different. Whereas in my memory, it was like, it sucks, but... They were never really in that series, not in the series, in the game, and they were never in game six. So when they had the chance to actually win the cup, they never really, never felt like they were close, but it could have happened. So that was a, that's not my favorite classic game to watch, but it does strike me how you, you watch these games and you see them differently than you remember them in your memory. Um, But my favorite is from the 94 Canucks cup run as Many people enjoy watching that Flames first round, game seven, double overtime, Pavel Bure, the save. That was a great game. But many people forget about the game six of the cup final versus the Rangers. And to me, that's my favorite one to watch because the Canucks were, I believe, an eight seed that year. They had been a good team the year before, but they fizzled out of the playoffs. Then they had a bad regular season. And then they knocked off the heavily favored Flames, and then they went on the run. Um, But Game 6 is when they were down 3-1 in the series. Again, they made it 3-2. They went back home. And the electricity in the Pacific Coliseum that night was phenomenal. And there was that series at the end where the Canucks score, but the puck goes in and out. The light doesn't go on. Play continues. At that point, I think the score was 4-2. So, and it's about four minutes left in the game, three minutes left in the game. The puck goes in and out, play continues. The Rangers go down the ice and score to seemingly make it four to three. And then they review, and it turns out the Canucks had scored a minute prior, and it's five to two instead of four to three. And just that crazy emotion of like, oh my God, are they going to blow it? And then never mind, it's a three goal lead. And then the call at the end of the game of they will play, you know, they'll play and they'll play on Thursday night at Madison Square Garden. Um, It's just very memorable to me that like they were going to game seven of the Stanley Cup final. And as a kid, that game was everything, obviously, but watching it back is one of my favorites. And you watch the the cheap shot by Mark Messier on Trevor Linden too uh, at the end there. And Trevor's like, you know, trying to get back to the bench. And then you have the, you have the Jim Robson call of 
Trevor Linden. I mean, you don't get to see it on TV, but we've heard it all here yeah, yeah. living in this market. He'll play on crutches. You know he'll play. You know, it's yeah. it's yeah, that's that that's quite that's one of the one of the best moments in Canucks history for sure. And the yeah, the the feeling in the Coliseum. Oh, that's good stuff, man. Yeah, I, I I'm all for that rewatchable. And you know what's great about YouTube? You can go back and watch that game too on YouTube if you want to. But it's great that they're playing some of these games on TV, which is which is awesome as well. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm down for all this rewatching stuff. Well, we've probably got a at least a few more months of it. Sounds like golf will be coming back in June. I don't know that Major League Baseball's big plan to return is going to pan out, but we'll see. But we know that Monday morning, twelve oh one a.m. The Last Dance episodes three and four will drop and Art and I will watch them. We will review them next week. You know we will. And I'm sure we'll have lots more to talk about. Um, yeah, man. NFL draft coming up Thursday night. We'll talk about uh, what goes on with that and much more coming next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Art. Thanks, Rich. This has been Worthlessly Worthwhile. Thanks for listening. <laughs>